Welcome to episode 90 of The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Anya Hitzenberger, and today we are sponsored by the School of Visual Arts MFA Photo, Video, and Related Media Program, chaired by Charles Traub. And this Thursday on April 11th from 6.30 to 9, uh, as part of the 30th anniversary of the MFA program, uh, there is a book fair and a discussion. It's called Process Publishing and the Photographer's Practice. MFA photography, video, and related media alumnus and faculty member Jeremy Hike moderates a discussion about beloved faculty member Marfin Heiferman's latest book and project, Seeing Science. Featuring Heiferman, alumnus and artist Sarah Palmer, and Magali Dusant of Conveyor Arts. So again, that's Thursday, April 11th from 6.30 to 9 at 214 East 21st Street on the ground floor. So maybe I'll see you there. So Anya and I are going to talk about photography and food and Mozart balls and her new online venture called Strudel Media Live, where sometimes she teaches from a mountaintop. And that will make sense once you listen to the episode. Uh, so a little bit more on Anya. Anya Hitzenberger is a photographer and video artist whose work focuses on the body and its relationship to architecture and space, as well as themes relating to food and how people eat. Her work has been exhibited in solo and group shows, as well as at film festivals and on theater stages throughout Europe, the United States, South America, and Asia, and published internationally in magazines and books. She is the founder of Strudel Media Live, which offers live online interactive photography courses for students participating from locations around the world. She has received numerous art grants and has completed residencies in Rome, Paris, Warsaw, and Beijing. She is on the faculty at the International Center of Photography in New York, where she teaches personal vision classes. Uh, originally from Salzburg, Austria, she divides her time between New York and Vienna, Austria. But before we get to the episode, I actually had a really wonderful day with artist Rachel Stern installing her show, Orpheus Looked, at the JKC Gallery. And that opens on Thursday, April 11th, but the reception is Wednesday, April 17th from 5 to 7 p.m. And Rachel will be speaking at 6 p.m. I also want to give a shout out to Timothy Dill that Rachel had uh, in Digital Photo 1 and I now have in Photo 2 at Mercer. So thank you, Timothy. We really had a, a great time. And Rachel brought her dog, Ursula, who is wonderful. Um, so, but the show looks fantastic and it's the first time we've done some real installation style work and uh, salon style hanging. So it was a lot of fun. It was very freeing for me because I normally uh, walk around with a spreadsheet of numbers and measurements and a laser level and a bubble level and everything else. And so actually this was really fun to install. So please try to come to that. And I think Rachel will have some copies of her new book, Morpheus which I'm sure she would be willing to sign if you were interested in purchasing a copy. All right, so what else? Oh, you know, during the conversation with Anya, uh, at the, I think towards the end, she mentions that she will be doing an installation in Austria, and I failed to ask her what this installation was all about. So I, I emailed Anya just before uh, releasing this, and she told me that the uh, installation will be in an old former storefront, and she's going to try to create a kind of light box in the window to show photos of New York City deli flowers after dark. And you can see some of that work on her Instagram account, at Anya Hitze. So it's at A-N-J-A-H-I-T-Z-E. So check that out. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. And we will talk soon.
Well, thank you for coming in on this snowy day in New York. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I um, I have to say I was pretty shocked when I woke up. I thought, oh, nice leisurely Saturday morning, make some breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for snow and I'm so happy we finally got some. <laughs> I mean, for me, this is nothing. This is oh, just sure. sugar. This right. is, you know. <laughs> well, where did you grow up? In Austria. Oh. I grew up in Salzburg. Wow, yeah. Beautiful you, small town. Is, is it mountainous? Is it Yes, mountains yeah. and it's a small town, very touristy unfortunately. It's becoming like Venice, but um uh, but I'm very happy that I was able to grow up there because there's a lot of nature in town in a way. Mm-hmm. So Did, I loved it. Do you ski? I used to, not anymore. Yeah. I'm not I know everybody thinks <laughs> everybody thinks I love the cold and everybody thinks I ski like crazy. <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> Good. We got all the stereotypes out of the way. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what about chocolate? No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very important, especially uh, the Mozart balls, which is uh, an Austrian delicacy from oh. my hometown. And I love those. I always bring them back with me. Is that me. like a truffle-style chocolate? With it's with marzipan, oh, marzipan. and nougat, and oh. uh, it's Ooh, handmade. That sounds great. Yeah. Nuts? or uh, Not really. Oh. That sounds amazing, actually. <laughs> yeah, I bring tons of that stuff back so when i go next maybe i'll bring you some how, thank you how often do you go back well um the last couple of years i actually tried to be in new york for seven months and five months in austria because i missed it i want to be over there and i do different projects over there um but it's not so easy to make that happen so um i go twice a year sometimes or i try to stay several months depending on if i have work over there yeah yeah you know, speaking of um, chocolates, food is a big interest of yours. F- food is a, an interest of yours that, uh, you know, we can see in your work, right? R- already for a long time, yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, I love to eat. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I have done uh, quite a few projects uh, that had to do with food. Um, one project I did, for example, was in China where I photographed uh, a tent that was filled with fast food stands and they were very colorful and the visuals were very busy and um, the people that worked there were were really bored because there was nothing actually going on. So I did a whole series on on those uh, food stands um, and the food there wasn't actually very good. (laughs) The food in Beijing was great, but not in that tent. Oh, okay. Right. So where do you where did that come from? Where did your uh, interest in in pho- photography and food? How did they merge? Oh, you know, I think it really has to do with uh, the fact that I do like to eat. Uh, and I feel that it's sometimes not so easy to find good food. And I also feel that people's eating habits are changing and traditions are changing. And uh, I think I keep looking for for good things to eat. And I'm just not interested in fast food at all. And I feel like there's more and more of it. Uh, and I try to avoid all of that. And I think that's how I started to, to search, search mm-hmm. for good food. And that's when I started to photographing it. But, you know, uh, it's not that I do food photography. It's no, more not that all, my right. work just has the theme of food in it. It's, it's almost... Um culture of food right exactly right? yeah yeah, yeah. At, did you grow up in a, a house where food was a primary gathering kind of yes talking point and, yeah yes definitely i mean we always uh, lunch was the main meal uh, and we would always have lunch together at the table. So yeah. that was very important. Um, I think definitely it has to do with that as well that um, I grew up in a household where you know my mother cooked 
and I enjoyed eating already then. Also, my grandmother's food uh, was very important to me. So, you know, it's also interesting what how what kind of memories food triggers. Uh, just mentioning my grandmother, you know, I immediately had this certain... You could smell the food, right? <laughs> I could smell and taste yeah, the food. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what, you know, what were some sort of... Uh, dishes from your childhood that you sort of remember and do you now make them yourself uh you know actually i don't cook that often because mm -hmm. my husband loves to cook oh, that's so nice. he is so into cooking that i only cook when i'm not with him and then dishes from from austria from my childhood i think uh, are mainly pastries uh, lots of sugar uh <laughs> baking i love to bake i like to bake cakes uh, uh. i love the Austrian uh, coffee house culture. So it's a real tradition to go to a coffee house and taste the pastries there. So that's really important to me, which is also becoming harder because Starbucks is spreading in Austria as well oh, because they can pay yeah. high rents. Yes. Uh, and a lot of traditional cafes can't actually afford the rent anymore, which is uh, kind of sad. That is, that is. And that, that was my memory of Italy as well. Y you didn't go for the big uh, stack of pancakes and two eggs and bacon. You went to a, a coffee house and you right. you had a cappuccino or, or an espresso and, and, and a an little yeah, a little pastry. Yeah. I mean, not even a lot of food. It's just a little pastry. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. have a little croissant in the morning mm -hmm. or something in that direction and coffee and that's it. That's all you need. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what is your uh, husband's sort of cultural background in food? Like, what is his uh, well cuisine? Uh, well, that's uh, a good question. So he grew up with not having really good food to eat. And he hated the food that he was uh, given as a child. Is he American? He's American. <laughs> he's from Texas. and uh, lots, of, lots of beef. Uh, well, he's a vegetarian. So, um, But anyway, I think that's why he started to cook, because he wanted to catch up on what he didn't have as a child. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he loves Italian. He cooks Italian food, French food, and a lot of Asian food. And so, and I love to eat it, so. <laughs> it works out. It works out quite well. <laughs> but uh, uh, getting back to the pastry talk, I didn't, I didn't realize what a food podcast this was going to be. <laughs> I think I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. Is that why you, you named your online learning platform Strudel Media? It has to do with that. I mean, strudel is such an Austrian traditional dish. And when I was trying to come up with a name, I wanted something that has to do with where I'm from. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's how Strudel Media was born. Um, <laughs> and I mean, Strudel Media has been around for a while because these are actually projects that I do together with my husband. Uh, but then Strudel Media Live is my new, uh, what I call, adventure. Oh, okay. So what, what, how do you just, what's the difference between the two? What do you mean Strudel Media has been around for a while? Meaning that the name Strudel Media has been around like for a, a while. Like a production company? Right, exactly. Oh, because okay. he's a composer. And oh. so we made a couple of films together. And so we have a website that was, uh, that is strudelmedia.com. But then when I started my online uh, teaching, online classes, I expanded the name into right. Strudel Media Live. Yeah. Oh, so that's interesting. What kind of music? Um, jazz. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I think he also calls it kind of like cinematic music, very visual storytelling mm -hmm. music. That's what he writes. Is that his primary occupation? No. Or no? Oh, okay. Graphic designer. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you're both in the creative worlds. Right, exactly. Yeah. And you work together a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Uh, and the film and video work, like how, how much of that is a part of your process, your work? Uh, I think I'm mainly a photographer. That's how I would answer that question. Because the last film I made was a few years ago. And, you know, making our little films uh, uh, is so much work that often it just takes a while to complete one. Were you um, also doing the editing? Or? Well, actually, no. Uh, we had an editor. We, we were sitting there with her, you know, collaborating with her. I think to edit my own work when I make a larger video project, it's hard. I think it's nice to have somebody else there. I, I need sure. to step back from yeah. it. <laughs> and um, also, technically, uh, I, I prefer to have somebody else edit it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I know Premiere uh, a little bit, but it's not something I use often enough in a way. Yeah. So <laughs> I prefer to work with a professional on that. No, I agree. I think the, the top, or I don't know if this is the most recent work or, or just sort of top of your uh, site is, and I'm not going to pronounce it right, is it Fleischerei? Fleischerei. 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 Yeah, I'll never say it. Okay. <laughs> you got it. I did? You got okay. it the second time. And this, yeah. and this is a, a butcher shop and is it close to where you grew up? Close to it's in Vienna. Oh, okay. So uh, I grew up in Salzburg and Vienna is about two and a half hours away from Salzburg. And when I'm in Austria, I'm mainly in Vienna because it's the capital. It's a, it's a larger city. I mean, large for, you know, mm -hmm. it's two million people. <laughs> but that's where I am when I'm in Austria. And Fleischerei, which means butcher shop, uh, is or was in, in the... Um, the neighborhood of, of Austrian workers uh, for a very long time. It was a family business. It was about 100 years old when they closed it. And, um, and it was closed for different reasons. One reason was that uh, a lot of uh, regulations in the uh, European Union changed and the butcher would have had to invest a lot of money to fix his business, to, to fix it up. It was, he, he never did anything, he never fixed anything, so it was very run down. He would have had to invest a lot of money. The other reason why he closed it was because the neighborhood changed. So from a worker's neighborhood, it changed to an immigrant's neighborhood. And this is where I live when I'm there. Because for me, you know, I love New York. And that neighborhood in Vienna is like, that's as close as I can get to the way New York feels like with uh, being in an immigrant neighborhood. Oh, okay. Um, so I love being there. So but the, diverse, the diversity of the neighborhood. Diversity right. of the neighborhood. I thought you were going to say like walking around Katz's Deli or something. <laughs> no, no, not like that. No, 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 no. I don't eat meat either, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which I never told the, the, the owner of the butcher shop. <laughs> you didn't want to insult him. <laughs> no, I thought if he asks me... I will not lie, obviously, right. but he never asked, so I didn't tell him. Right, right. So, but the the sort of the point of the work was to show this kind of um, artifact of a previous time. Right? That's right. Mm -hmm. um, so the butcher shop shut down already in uh, 2014, but uh, I got access to it in 2016, and. I was just really intrigued uh, by being in these uh, empty spaces. And also what uh, interested me the most was actually the objects that he had left behind because I didn't quite understand why he would leave so many objects behind. So I, so the, the story, the, the book uh, Fleischerei is, is 
sort of like a walk through these empty spaces and um, also a documentation of the objects that were left behind. So you spoke to the owner. Yes, I interviewed him. I also made a little video, actually, um, where he talks about each room and he describes what was done in that room, um, the production room, the store, and even their apartment. They lived uh, above the store. Uh, do they not live there anymore? No, they moved around the corner into another building. And uh, his shop, the whole building has been torn down since. Oh, so now it's it's not even there anymore. No, it's now it's an being apartment developed. building. Oh, it was developed. Okay, yeah. so when so at the when you were photographing, he still owned the space. Oh, uh, he did not own it anymore. Oh. It was already owned by I think the architect who built the new building, but he still had access to it. He still had stuff in there. Okay, and so he spent some time with me walking through the different spaces while I interviewed him, and I had two weeks in the space to photograph, mm -hmm. which was wonderful. So. Right. It was a little creepy because the whole building is quite large and it was empty and I was there all alone. Yeah. So it took me a <laughs> couple of spitting blades and uh, it, leftover meats. <laughs> some, it felt that way. It definitely smelled that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a little, what looks like what might be a little blood on a platform. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody thinks that that's what it is, but it's actually, uh, it's rust. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and, and in terms of speaking with the owner... Was there a sense of loss, remorse, or just like ready to move on? Or? Both. Mm. I would say both um, because it was a family business and his uh, father already owned it and his uncle worked there. It was hard for him, but he also felt he needed to move on and he now works around the corner at another butcher. So he's now employed. He's not oh, that's a good. business owner anymore, but he's employed. And still in the neighborhood. And yeah. still in the neighborhood. Exactly. But you said the um, the neighborhood had changed, uh, become became more of an immigrant neighborhood, and there was the European Union regulations and rules and all. Uh, did in terms of the neighborhood, it was a, just a matter of people did, w were not interested in what he was selling because they don't buy that kind of meat. Right. Okay. Uh, so that was one of the main things. They don't go to an Austrian butcher. So that was one of what, the reasons. Did it become a more of a, a Muslim right. neighborhood? So exactly. halal and exactly. Right. And but it's really beautiful. There are now people from all over. A lot of uh, Syrians are there now. They mm -hmm. sell amazing falafels. A lot of people from uh, India. A lot of people from African countries. Mm. So it's really quite an amazing mix right. and you know for me the closing of the butcher shop it just shows that things change and that we need to go along with change right you know sometimes change is sad but at the same time it's it also opens up new new things oh absolutely and it's it's you know it's funny the um, uh in the past few episodes we've been talking a lot about the rust belt here mm -hmm. and the way things have value one moment and no value the next moment. Right, exactly. Um, but at least this owner didn't become destitute and lose everything, And right? right? I mean, right. there's a little bit of good news about that. Yeah, I right? think it was very hard for his wife. Um, I never got to meet her. She didn't want to be interviewed. She didn't mm. want to be part of the video. She... She has decided it's in the past and she doesn't want to deal with oh, it anymore. Okay. Did so they have kids? They had a daughter who also does something completely different. She became a pharmacist. She wasn't going into the business. No. Yeah. She okay. didn't want. And right. he said, I'm so glad she didn't. Right. He was happy about oh, it's it. It's good that she had a <laughs> another career lined exactly. up. Right. right. So it, I want to get back to uh, Strudel Media. That was a production company and now you've expanded it into this online learning program where you invite faculty, basically, to teach online programs. So how does that all work? 
It's a lot of work, but it's so exciting. Uh-huh. I'm, I mean, this is my little baby right now. Yeah. So I can, I can tell by your body language that you're excited <laughs> to speak about it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's now one year old. Wow. I started it oh, a year ago. Happy birthday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On my very first day of my very first class, I had balloons behind me. Uh, right, that's nice. <laughs> so that was very funny. So basically, the way it works is I teach live online classes. So uh, this students all over the world participants are all over the world i never accept more than about eight or ten people nice so it's small groups and it's all live and we can all talk to each other and see each other and i've had people participate from uh, south korea from nepal from all over europe all over the u.s uh, lots of west coast and east coast And I think it's becoming a really nice uh, community for people to share their thoughts and ideas about photography online. Yeah. What Do you still teach at ICP as well? Yes, yes okay. I still teach at ICP. I'm on the faculty. I teach uh, full-time student classes. I'm mm-hmm. in the new media program. I teach in the doc program. I teach continuing education classes. And I actually started the online teaching at ICP. Oh, okay. But then... Yeah, when that was going to be my <coughs> next question. Like, where... Like, where, did, where does the experience come from? Yeah, right. I mean, ICP offered me to teach online uh, a few years ago. And when they first offered this, I turned it down because my immediate thought was, I need to be in the same room with my students. You know, I was thinking, I cannot do this. This is terrible. That's a tough transition. Yeah. yeah. And then I thought, no, I should do it just for the experience. And I fell in love with it pretty quickly. Was that also a visual interface, the online teaching in ICP? Do you... Yes. Speak to people face to face. That's through, right. Right. Okay. But I use a different software than what ICP was using. Oh yeah. No, I'm just meaning because I my my issue is the non visual connection. Right. Exactly. When I teach, I teach occasionally teach a hybrid course. And okay. So far, I don't like it because you don't see the <laughs> because other. Because I don't students. have that connection. Right. Yeah. I would never do. I could. I could not do that. Yeah. Exactly. Because then I feel lonely. I mean, I need the energy. I feed off of other people. That's mm-hmm. really how I teach. I love teaching this way. I like to improvise. I like to go by yes. what is needed. Yeah. I think my students will tell you I improvise quite a bit in the classroom. (laughs) It's like, you know what? We're not going to do this. Let's do this. That's what I do, too. Yeah. I mean, I do prepare, but uh, improvisation is something that I need in in my teaching life mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah it's important to me and uh, and I do the same online right so then when you invite faculty like what are you first of all what what are the offerings like what are the course offerings so i have one class that i call the feedback group uh, and that is a class where people have to work on a project or maybe already are working on a project i could start a new project or maybe they already have one and we meet weekly and we help each other with the project um, and that's a great uh, class for people who work on all kinds of different things uh, and i feel like we can all learn from each other so that's always a nice mix of different yeah. projects i have some amazing teachers now uh, one is uh, Gianni Cipriano he's an icp graduate and he uh, lives in italy he's italian and he works there for the new york times hmm. and he just taught a lighting class for environmental portraits he also was he is he the one who was also teaching documentary at one point uh, for for Strudel Media right. Live? No, not yet. That's, oh, okay. That is Marco Bello, okay. and that is quite an amazing story actually because he is uh, from Venezuela. He is in Venezuela, 
And he's teaching a documentary class. And he was supposed to already be living in Miami when the class started. But oh, because of the crisis, wow. yes. he kind of got stuck in Venezuela. Does he still have access to communication and everything? Yes, he oh, does. Okay. Yeah. And he works for Reuters. So in between shooting, in between photographing the crisis, uh, actually on the day of his very first class that he was teaching for me online, he was arrested. Oh, wow. And he told me that while he was in jail, he was thinking, I need to get out of here, otherwise <laughs> Anya will kill me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then Reuters got him out two hours before the class Oh, started. good. Was, what was he on the border with? Brazil or? No, uh, oh. with uh, Colombia. Oh, Colombia, yeah. Colombia, that's Columbia. right. That's oh. where he is, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, Because and that's where the, the aid was, they were trying to that's get right. the food aid in and then the people got shot and killed. And so he was there photographing, is that when he got arrested? Uh, yes. Wow. Yeah, and he uh, documented also recently uh, all the events on the bridge uh, where people were throwing rocks and he was also hit by uh, a rock. But, you know, he works with, a helmet, a gas mask, and a bulletproof vest. Mm. So it's quite intense. Yeah. And so he showed my students all of his uh, equipment and outfits. And it's, for me, really, it's it's quite special that's, to that's have really somebody like that uh, be part of uh, these classes. That is a very different classroom experience. Yeah, it, exactly. yeah. And it must be really engaging to see something as it's happening Absolutely. like that. Right. I mean, he showed us some photos that he uh, took two days before the class. So mm -hmm. we got to see these fresh pictures. They were already published uh, in The Guardian and in The Washington Post. So, And he explained how he took the pictures. It was quite... That, that's a new definition of a, a live class. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then, so when you, are, when you are inviting people to teach, what is it you're looking for? I like working with people who are really fun and nice people. So that's how I start out. That's how I pick people. No, that's, that's a good place to start. Um, they need to be excited about doing this, you know. <clears throat> but then it, it, of course, depends on also uh, what they like to teach. For example, I mean, I love Johnny's uh, work. He specializes on environmental portraits. Mm -hmm. That's why I asked him if he would like to teach a lighting class for environmental portraits, at, which he had never done before. He had never taught a lighting class before. So it was a lot of work for him to prepare, but he did an amazing job. So yeah. I'm very open to people who want to try out new things because I'm trying out new things too. Right, you know? no, it's. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's kind of um, daunting and exhilarating to to suddenly have to do everything you do instinctually and, and map it out so you can show somebody else how to do it and teach, not just show, but teach somebody else how to right. do it, how to conceptually understand what you're doing. Things that you just take for granted become like very specific, like all of a sudden when you have Absolutely. to put something on paper. Yeah, Absolutely. And what I still find challenging is when I prepare for a class to figure out uh, do I have enough material for the time that I have available? So I tend to over-prepare in a certain <laughs> way because I'm always terrified I might have time left and oh, not yeah. enough material. Uh, I'm the same way. I My class ended the other day and I was like, all right, let's switch gears. Uh, take two minutes. I'm going to set up for something else. And they're like... There's two minutes left. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, yeah, two minutes. Like, oh, never mind. <laughs> Next yeah. class. Yeah, but that's good when that happens, right? <laughs> it is. I had, I had no idea the class had ended. Right. No idea. <laughs> so the students had to tell you. Oh, they do. They do all the time. I like, bet yeah. they do. <laughs> it's hysterical. They want their breaks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're just staring at me like, what? What's wrong? <laughs> but yeah, so um, that energy you like. And, and also, if you're looking for people who have humor 
and are excited about it, you know they're going to engage. You know exactly. they're going to bring that to the classroom. Right, yeah. yeah. And I look mainly, I mean, because I studied at ICP, I definitely, you know, I'm very interested in documentary photography, in storytelling. Right. I don't think I will ever offer uh, wedding photography classes or also not fashion. I don't think that's what I want. I think I'm much more into storytelling. And it's not like they won't get skills that could transfer to other things exactly. that they want to do, but at least you can keep it on a level where you want it to be. Exactly. Right, right. Um, I, I just said that. Uh, uh, something about uh, wedding and baby portraiture and things like that uh, in class. And a student said, you're killing me. I said, said, it's all right. You're going to learn the skills and everything. It's just, we're just not going to look at wedding photography. You know, that's all right. And I want you to make a living. It's okay. Right, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Do what you love. There's enough other stuff online for that. You know, that's why I feel like I don't want to cover that. And there are so many classes online that, that are called live when they actually aren't live. I mean, maybe the live part is that you could uh, participate participate through a chat, and but there are like 500 people. Yeah. Right. And I, I just found it so uninteresting. And that's why I want to keep my classes small so that people can really talk to each other. Yeah. And, and you do have some nuts and bolts offerings, right? I mean, there's Lightroom and multimedia and composition. And I mean, that, that's more of the basic you know, That's techniques, right. right? That's right. I mean, composition is one of my specialties. I love teaching composition classes. Hmm. Um, and I do that a lot. I, I do that at ICP. I do it online. I teach workshops in Berlin and in Austria also. So composition is something I, I love doing. But composition that goes into maybe storytelling at right. the end. That does uh, bring up a question about how you teach composition and not just teach your style, right? That's right. I mean, like in the very first session of my composition class, I actually show the very first images that that my students get to see are paintings, Renaissance paintings. And I've had some students who said to me, so what's the point in showing paintings? (laughs) (laughs) Getting students to think about their frame as a canvas is the biggest first hurdle you really have to get over yeah exactly but that's once they learn how to see once they learn how to analyze what is on their canvas once they learn how to talk about lines uh uh, i think they will uh, learn to compose in a very new way that's uh what my goal is yeah yeah so we used to we used to do in black and white photo one we still do it occasion we used to start with with uh um uh, photograms mm-hmm. under the enlarger so that they would treat the paper wow, as a, a canvas, idea. right? And now that we're doing digital, you know, I, I haven't really thought about that for a while. And we still teach black and white, but there's more, way more digital classes. Mm-hmm. And one of my uh, adjuncts, Todd Lowther, has the, his students compose on a scanner. I thought, oh, that's genius. Right. That's the photogram of the digital exactly. world. Yes. Have you seen <laughs> any of those? The, yeah, the, yes, there's some really interesting, great work. Uh, and of course, um, the uh, the work that um, I think really stands out, if, if anyone has seen this work, is, is Harold Feinstein's work, where he did, I think he did flowers and some other objects, but he built this black box on top of the scanner. So mm-hmm. there'd be this space above the objects. So they're not just flattened, like flattened flowers in a, 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 a right. you know, an album. And so they have real dimensional quality to them. And, Wonderful. And gorgeous colors. But yeah, I mean, that's that's a way of... Of, of getting students to th- expand their idea about what the frame is. Exactly. Yeah. And I also uh, talking about, you know, expanding students' ideas. I also teach a class 
actually together with my husband, uh, uh, where we watch film clips from movies from all oh, over the yeah. world. So we show old black and white movies. We show uh, so a lot of Hong Kong action movies. Oh, interesting. Uh, French movies from the 60s and 70s. Any Cassavetes? Uh, no, not yet. <laughs> um, but he has done some interesting work. Yeah. And then we analyze the visuals. We analyze, you know, how does the cinematographer compose? Or we also talk about editing, sequencing. But then they have to go out and take stills. Mm -hmm. They have to t go out and take uh, photographs. And I think it's important to uh, expose students not only to photography, but also to painting and films. And I, I sent them, I sent them to museums to see paintings, mm -hmm. for example. You know, so I'm in the middle of changing some of my photography program, and when it was being reviewed, the person looking at it said. You're, you know, you have way more general education classes than you need. You have a lot more art histories than you need. You have a lot more, um, you know, English and math and science, you know, mm -hmm. than your, your program has to have. And I was like, yes. It's important. <laughs> That's good. Exactly. And, and I'm at a two-year junior college. Like, let right. them... Let them not pay a lot of money and get all these classes done and be exposed to a, a lot more classes. Maybe they wouldn't even have to take if they transferred to an art school. Or, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I find that really important. I think that we need to feed ourselves with lots of different things. You know, I mean, I, I also talk about dance performances, depending oh, wow. on the student. Um, I send a lot of my students to uh, Judson Church. I don't know if you know what that is. It's, uh, no. it's a church on Washington Square Park that does uh, dance performances, uh, improvisation, a lot of dance improvisation, and it started in the 60s. Uh -huh. uh, so it has quite a history. And some of my students who do more experimental work, or maybe their work, you know, they have they use their own body in their photography. I sent them to go uh, watch yeah. these performances. So yeah, yeah, which choreography is composition, right? Exactly. Yeah, really interesting. When when students like, is there, uh, is it? Uh, levels, you know, you take this class, then you take the next class, then you take... Do you see it as a program, a whole program? Um, it, it will become that. I mean, mm -hmm. so far, Strudel Media Live is small. I'm really only just starting it out and building it up. But, um, for example, what I do recommend to somebody who is new to photography, they should first take a composition class, and then from the composition class, they can move on to a storytelling class mm -hmm. or a long-term project class. So I definitely do build it up. But I have to say that I'm also very open to teaching classes with students of different levels because I feel we can all learn from each other. When I studied at ICP, I was at ICP when they were still at their old location uptown. And we as full-time students were mixed in with continuing education students. And I have to say, I love that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, of course you have some people who only photograph babies and flowers and that can be, well, maybe <laughs> not so exciting. <laughs> but at the same time, there were people who were really uh, creating good work mm -hmm. and uh, people of all ages. And that's so important to me. Um, that's what I have in my online classes. I have... A student uh, who is 19, 18, 19 or 20 uh, sitting next to, which is not next to because it's online, uh, somebody who is in their late 70s. Yeah. You know, and they can all uh, no, I, get I, something out of it's it. It's one of the great things about community college, teaching at a community college. is exactly. That's exactly what the classroom is. It, it couldn't be more diverse in every kind of way. Right. I have a current class now with, with two um, older students and they're both they're both really talented photographers, but one of them has a lot of trouble with the computer. Mm -hmm. And so here's this, 
you know, 19-year-old helping right. him out with the computer and, and, and in awe of his work, mm -hmm. right? So it's not like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you get this? It's like, you're really good at this. Let me just help you with this, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Uh, That's so, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, it creates a really nice classroom environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So strudelmedialive.com, is that where you'd sign up? That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Nice. nice. Uh, and then uh, what's um, in, in terms of faculty, how do you sort of, um, is it all schedule based? Like how would you rotate in, rotate out or things like that? Well, a lot of uh, classes, uh, I have five week classes, I have eight week classes. So it really depends on what the class is. I have the last uh, few terms were I had I had a winter term I had uh, you know a spring term summer term but now I'm not sure if I will really keep it that way because it could really be anything it's, I mean it's, it's online, online. <laughs> it's flexible <laughs> so, right so I think I might shift things and and plan it more uh, regarding when the teacher has time or what classes what other classes I'm offering right. so I'm still experimenting with all of that and what about uh, getting the word out is it is it a you know word of mouth right now so to speak or at yeah. the moment it's yeah. word of mouth um i post on instagram of course i post on facebook mm -hmm. i have my email list yeah um but you know i can only send out so many emails before people get annoyed with right. it <laughs> so i have to be careful with that um but word of mouth has been working quite right. well yeah. yeah and just to just give you know let people know how these things happen you know, I when I started the podcast, I, um, I I didn't think of it as a business, right? I just wanted to do it, mm -hmm. right? But eventually, you do have right. to think of it as a business, exactly. and so I have an accountant, and I went, I made it in LLC. And oh, you I, did? Yes, ah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, just um, just so I could separate it right. in a way, right? And so kind of just keep track of it. Absolutely. And, and honestly, it helps. It helps. Not that it really changed the show at all, but it. Um, I think it made. I think it helped me schedule-wise. I think it helped me in my head to mm -hmm. compartmentalize it a little bit. So it yeah. wasn't just this sort of flowing part of my life where I had no schedule or anything like that. Right, that's yeah. important. You have to have a structure, otherwise I think you go crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, because it's, it's can, it can get quite uh, overwhelming. And too. you're working out of your home, I imagine. That's right. So home businesses, people kind of see, I think if you've never had one, people see it as a sort of luxury. <laughs> Whereas what happens is you give up home life for your business, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's how it is. I mean, yeah, yeah that's you just said it. <laughs> but it's a, but yeah, but you know, it's all about uh, passion and getting it done too. And you eventually you find the balance that yeah. you need. Yeah, and you know, I'm also uh, very open to collaborating with other organizations. So I I don't have to do this. Uh, alone you mm -hmm. know I mean I I feel in a way I do I would like support from from other people and collaborate with other people so for example I just started a new collaboration with a, a journalism uh, school in Austria wow and, that's amazing um, I will teach an online class for them uh, for journalists who write but mm. a lot of writing journalists now also have to take pictures of course and right. so they you know use their iPhones uh, or sometimes they show up with cameras but they know nothing about composition they know nothing about picture taking so that will be an online class in German that will be the first class in German that I'm, I'm teaching online uh, for writing journalists to become better photographers that's great. Yeah. And so you uh, kind of, uh, I guess, um, fluidly or easily teach 
you could start a class here and end up in Vienna, right? Or end yes, up in Austria, right? I have done that. Yeah. I have taught from all, I mean, I've taught from Brussels, I've taught from <laughs> Vienna, I have taught from France, I have taught, I mean, from all over the place, I can't even remember right now, but very often when I travel, like uh, recently I uh, documented a, a big project for a friend of mine in Brussels, and I was basically photographing 10 hours per day. It was really, really intense, but I had to teach my mm. online class. So I told him, I said, I need to be sitting in your living room for two <laughs> hours. We need to make this happen. So that's always the priority. <laughs> right, when I arrive right. somewhere, I immediately search for Where's the good internet yes. connection? <laughs> Can I get hardwired uh, to an internet exactly. connection, right? I have taught from a mountain uh, in <laughs> Austria, high, high up in the mountains, because I could not find a good internet connection down in the village. Oh, But uh, this young kid, this 18-year-old kid who lives high up in the mountain had the most amazing... Had the best <laughs> reception because it was clear, it was free and clear of obstacles. And Maybe, mountains. I have yeah, no I idea, know. but that's where I was sitting. I couldn't believe it, Yeah. <laughs> That's the fun thing when when a class starts and you talk to each other and you know it's like so where are you oh I'm right. in Nepal That's and right. you know I'm, I'm in San a, Francisco at the top of a mountain in a Buddhist temple with good Wi-Fi exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, wh uh, what about your uh, your education and all? Did you study art? I uh, my education is uh, International Center of Photography. Before oh, it is. before ICP, I uh, went to an art high school in Austria. And when I finished high school, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what to study. So a friend of mine uh, from Austria already lived in New York, and she kind of seduced me to follow her to New York. And I thought, you know, let me do a year. And she said, yeah, you can find babysitting jobs. Don't worry about it. We'll make it work somehow. So I had a tiny apartment together with my friend, and I would go every day to a different family just to babysit for a few hours. That's how I started out. That's how I started out in New York. But then I immediately started taking classes at ICP. And I loved it. And then the following year, I became a full-time student. Um, so I studied uh, in the general studies program, which is now called... Um, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I should know it too, but I don't remember. Someone Creative practice. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's right. They yeah. just changed it and I keep forgetting. Yes. Yeah. Anyway... But to make a living, I actually worked for a painter, uh, which again, you know, goes into what I mentioned earlier. I'm, I guess I'm very interested in not just doing this one thing. I don't need to only do photography. I like doing different things. So I was very happy to be working for a painter while I was studying photography. Do you paint? No. No, but this job just came about uh -huh. and uh, it was actually quite an amazing job. I worked there for seven years. Uh, and that's kind wow. of how I got stuck in New York because yeah. of because of that job. You had a job, right. yeah, yeah. So that's a, an undergraduate degree then. Or uh, ICP is only a certificate program, a certificate. one that's year, right. one year certificate. It's program. only a degree when they're you do their partner programs, right? They have an MFA with Bard. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And then when did you start teaching at ICP? Um, I started teaching at ICP in 2009. Okay. Yeah. So, and so between going to school there and teaching there, you were working for this painter? That's right. Right. Yeah. And then after I worked for the painter, 
uh, because unfortunately she passed away. I then yet had another job that uh, was uh, again in the art world, um, and I worked for the foundation of Robert Motherwell, the painter. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and that was a fascinating job. I love his work. And uh -huh. so I was surrounded by his work. Uh, on all, all of these jobs that I'm talking about, uh, they were all part-time because I wanted to do photography. Mm -hmm. So I definitely also had photography jobs right you know, like I had assignments um and I did I also photographed weddings for a while but uh, I'm very 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 happy that I don't do that anymore yeah. <laughs> I did I did a few weddings as well yes <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was okay it was good money you know absolutely uh, yeah but I, I love teaching much more even mm -hmm. if that's less money um, and I love creating my own work. So it's very important to me that I have time to create my own work. That's why I always work part-time for other people. I never wanted to accept a full-time job. Yeah, yeah. How did you uh, then meet your husband? And what, what's his name? Edward. Edward, okay. Yeah. I met him because he he's a musician and I wanted to do a party where I wanted to show a silent film that, uh, I don't know if that's still possible, but uh, many years ago, it was possible to rent 16 millimeter films at the public library. Mm. You could take them home. Wow. And I projected it on a wall and I was thinking it could be wonderful to have live music with this silent film. It was from 1921 or something like that. I think it was called Witchcraft of the Ages. And he was the only music musician I knew then. And I asked him if he would have, uh, if he would be interested in creating live music, improvising. And he showed up with four other musicians. It was wow. amazing. And yeah, that, that was that. So it started as a collaboration. It started. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And and so um, getting back to your to your work a little bit, then you know we we talked about food and the relationship to food and growing up when food is part of your sort of relationship with your family and, and your grandmother and all. The other thing that I, I see a thread, there's two other things I see a thread running through your work was, tw I think twice, I don't know if you wrote the descriptions of your work or someone else did on your site, but twice you mentioned the idea of it being playful, mm -hmm. the work, right? And it is, there's a there's a, a real photography humor in the work, yes. right? Yes, humor in photography is very important to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I talk about that a lot uh, when I you know, uh, work with my students because I think very often things are way too serious. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I, I like to enjoy things and I think humor is part of uh, enjoying life. Uh, yeah. And I don't think everything always has to be so serious. So yeah. I, I, I like to work with other people who um, create, uh, you know, who have fun ideas and, and who are not too serious. Right. And I think I think the, the interesting thing about humor and photography is it doesn't it doesn't mean the work is not serious and it doesn't mean the subject matter is not serious. Exactly. It means the the work is, is made in a way where there's this this kind of um, joyful interest in it. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think also if there's humor in art, I look at it longer mm -hmm. i mean i also like to look at serious things but i feel like it's important to make people look at a photograph for a long time and i feel like sometimes when there's a little bit of humor then yeah uh, yeah it's more enjoyable a absolutely and the, the other thing i think that runs your your uh, work or some of the, the work you've done is is also body image yes. right uh um, you did a, a whole series of work of uh, comparing this uh, sort of super thin model to this 
uh, this person, I'm blanking on his name. Um, Tom. Tom Fogarty. Tom Fogarty, right. Yep. Does he show up in several bodies of work? He does. He does, okay. He does. He fascinates me. He's a very, really interesting person. You, he actually used to be dancer? a dancer. He's a dancer? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I used to photograph dance. And he's large. That's and what, he's that very right, large. Right, and he, right. didn't, he didn't used to be that large oh, um, okay. when he was dancing. He mm-hmm. was always big, but he wasn't that large. But he still performs, so he does a lot of acting these days. And um, I used to photograph dance uh, a long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, but then I was kind of labeled as a dance photographer, and I never enjoyed that because I never felt I was a dance photographer. I just wanted to photograph movement, and I wanted to photograph the body in space. And so I kind of left this all behind, but I'm still very interested in the body. And that's why I still work with performers. And Tom, I met him in that time when I was photographing dance. And then when he got so big in size, uh, Mm -hmm. I started to work with him again. I found it really fascinating. And so this model, this very skinny model, she was only 15 years old when I took those pictures. Oh, is that right? Wow. And I did the photos just for her portfolio because she wanted to become a model. She was already working as a model, but she needed more. The photos are Tom mimicking her. That's right. Right. So I first photographed her. uh, It's like on the Upper West Side, that location that we selected. And I was so fascinated by her but at the same time kind of I would say I was a little shocked about how skinny she was and then I thought I should go there with Tom and so I went with Tom to the exact same location six months later so you can see in the pictures that the season is a little yes, different yes yes for the girl the grass is green and for Tom so there's like no in the grass wheat field or, yeah, <laughs> right. I know. and so and then I asked him to mimic uh, her poses yeah and he's great he's up for anything you well, know the, the thing about the work is you you said you know you were a little uncomfortable with how thin she was and it's not a, a comparison of like right or wrong or good and bad or this is strange and this is not strange they both kind of seem strange in right. the in the work in, the way they're interacting with the space and the and the the movements they're making and all neither of it seems natural right? because they're both uh, going into an extreme direction right in a right way. yeah yeah but i was very happy because both of them were up for this project i mean i showed her uh, my idea i showed her the photo of her standing next to tom which i had you know combined later yeah uh, and she she was completely fine to for me to i i have, I have exhibited these photos quite a bit and oh, I have okay. made a little catalog out of it and uh, and she was fine with all of that so I was really happy yeah yeah it's called 98 pounds 330 pounds right that's the title yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> her it's her weight <laughs> right. and it's his weight right and the um you know I wonder if there's if there is there a connection to the way you think about body image and 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 the way you think about food i mean is there any you know do you think about that at all yeah i mean i i do i mean like i mentioned earlier luckily i can eat as much as i like and i don't gain weight so i'm very lucky with that um <laughs> but at the same time send I just your hate mail to no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's going to come, I know. Um, but uh, like I said earlier, you know, the whole thing of uh, these very powerful companies, uh, these fast food uh, companies mm-hmm. that, you know, expand even more and expand into South America. And, you know, their goal is to uh, sell all this junk to people and uh, people get more and more unhealthy and sick. And I just find that extremely depressing. Right. <laughs> and so uh, I think that's one of the, the themes that is 
important to me to to show people, you know, don't don't do that. Don't listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been and I've been reading about those kind of things uh, also like for example there's a book by Eric Schlosser that uh, is really important to me uh it's called fast food nation oh sure right uh, and i really love that book or i read michael pollan mm -hmm. uh in defense of food um and then i also read um i forget his first name sinclair uh what's the yeah upton upton sinclair yes. uh, it's called the jungle Uh, and also all about the food industry from, you know, a very long time ago. Yes, that uh, was. But fascinating yeah. the way he described how, what life was like then and how people dealt with food. Right. And so you, you and your husband are, are strict vegetarian? In that no, fishitarian. Ah, so I, I have been, I've, been, I've been calling myself a vegetarian uh, for 30 years. I, I have to admit that I'm more of a pescatarian. Mm -hmm, right. <laughs> Especially when I go out to eat or I'm at right. someone's house or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it's not, uh, it wasn't the decision that I made. It was more that uh, uh, meat just didn't taste good to me anymore. Mm. And I felt I don't need it. And so I stopped eating it slowly. Right. And I, I really don't I have had the a, desire to have it. I had a more Upton Sinclair moment when I was, uh -huh. I did a, a road trip to the Grand Canyon. And it was during, I think it was, I, I might have this wrong. It's been a while, October or September, October. And it was the, you know, farmers, ranchers, uh, time of, you know, like downtime, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's when they all hopped in their campers and, and went camping. And so I ran into a lot of feed producers and they were just telling me all the things that go into the feed uh, for the animals. I was like, you know what? Uh, I've, I've been thinking about vegetarianism. This would be a good time to start. Is that when you started? Yes, it is. It's when I started. Yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it's also that I, I, I read too much about it. <laughs> right, you did, yes. So that's... The, um, the, one of the last things I do want to talk about in terms of your work, what, what, was, um, what was the Changing Room yes. project? What is that? Uh, so Changing Room was a project I did together with my friend Ilya Azarov, who is an architect. And we got a grant from the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council. And they used to give out a grant called the Swing Space. And mm. the Swing Space basically is where they give you an empty storefront that is for rent, And while it's for rent, uh, artists can use it for free. What a great idea. Oh, my God, I tell you, it was yeah. so amazing to have this space. I had it for two months. Wow. And it was a small uh, store on Nassau Street. Oh. It was basically to, you know, bring art to Lower Manhattan. That's what the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council does. And the, that storefront actually used to be a one-hour photo lab. Oh. I couldn't believe it. That was so nice to was, be in there. Was anything still there, like there the decor? Was. Oh, that, wow. Well, not so much, but mm -hmm. uh, there were still uh, film canisters lying <laughs> around, which was uh, interesting. Uh -huh. And um, so together with Ilya, uh, we had the space for two months. And every week we changed the space into a completely different look and uh, created an installation and painted it in a different color, put in different floors. And then during the week, I would invite performers to use the space and I would photograph them in that space. Mm. And I would ask each performer, pick, pick a corner, pick a wall, pick a location within the small space and experiment with it. 
And then every Friday evening, there were free public performances. Wow. That was part of the grant. We had to integrate the public. So every Friday, uh, an audience came uh, to see this, you know, one hour long performances. And it was really beautiful because week by week, the audience grew. Huh. And for the last week, there were so many people that they didn't fit into the store anymore. And they watched from the sidewalk. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, and I guess... I guess there's not as much need for this kind of grant because there aren't there aren't that many open storefronts anymore in Manhattan. They don't last very long. Um, and I think there's always yeah. a need for grants. <laughs> no, no, I just mean this this idea, right? I think I think you know the, the when the real estate economy boomed, uh, you know the, this you know I remember the Lower East Side used to have a lot of a lot more performance spaces that seemed yes. very kind of. Um, uh, homespun in a right, way, right? That has changed. Yeah, yeah that's I mean changed the whole bit, downtown right. dance scene. Yeah. That term doesn't even exist anymore right. because uh, a lot of things are now in Brooklyn and in Queens, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but that was a fun project. I, I enjoy working in different spaces, mm-hmm. um, and also to uh, play with installation uh, is something I like to do. I'm actually going to do an installation in Vienna in May that I'm looking forward to. Oh, so nice! That will be fun. Yeah. So uh, did I forget anything that you wanted to mention or talk about? Um, I think we covered it. Oh, good. <laughs> well, this has been great. Thank you. And what, what's your uh, favorite social media platform? Um, I'm on Facebook and on Instagram. What's your Instagram uh, handle? Uh, Instagram is Anja Hitze. It's A-N-J-A-H-I-T-Z-E. So it's my first name right. and the first few letters of my last name. That's Instagram. <laughs> but then Strudel Media Life. That's a good place to find you. another one, uh, of course, where I post a lot of interesting things. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming in on this snowy day. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you.